Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Tuesday, January 1st, 2013. My name is Leah, and I am your moderator for this morning. A Vision for You is pleased to have Joe M. on the line. Joe is a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota whose firm conviction for the program of recovery and passion for the solution offered in the big book is evident as she shares her experience, strength, and hope. This morning here to speak on a simple solution for a simple problem is Joe. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Leah, and good morning, A Vision for You. It's really an honor to be here, um, and I am going to share my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, the program of recovery as laid out in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous has changed my life 100% for the better, and I am happy to give away what I've been given. I am going to talk about a simple solution to a simple problem, but before I do that, I want to qualify and just tell you what it used to be like for me. In a nutshell, it was really, really bad. I weighed 254 pounds. I couldn't go up and down the stairs very easily. I couldn't get in and out of bed very easily. I couldn't walk up and down stairs very easily. I couldn't run when I was in a hurry. Um, I woke up with food hangovers every day because my evenings were occupied several hours in front of the television binging on all kinds of junk. And I would watch junky television to help me numb out from what I was doing. And I would feel so awful in the morning that I didn't want to get out of bed. When I would sit up in bed to get up and get ready for work, I had head rushes. My stomach was gurgling. I felt some nausea. Sometimes I felt like I was going to vomit. I was never hungry in the morning because of the food hangover. I would lay in bed for as long as I possibly could. And then at the last minute, get up, run in the shower, throw on my size 24 clothes, and run out the door. And so it would be several hours of feeling kind of bad because of what I did from the night before. But then about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, my stomach would start to gurgle, and my head would start to get really hot. because This was the second layer of the food hangover now settling in, and it felt really bad. And I didn't want that second layer settling in. And the only way that I knew how to avoid feeling that way was to eat. So I'd go down to the convenience store in the building where I worked, and I would get like a sandwich and some instant soup because I had to, you know, kind of get the quote good food um, in order to justify what I was going to do next. So I'd get the quote good food, and I'd buy a couple of junky items, and then that would tide me over until I got off of work at seven or seven thirty at night, and then I would go and I would start my very rigorous, very aggressive overeating for the next several hours until midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And then the whole cycle would start all over again. Uh, my face was stretched way out. I mean, I remember looking in the mirror and worrying that my skin was going to crack because of the obesity. Uh, I would go to junky uh, films at the movie theaters because I needed to numb out from my life. And so I would go into the dark movie theater. Of course, I always had to get the concessions um, while I was there. And I, I spent quite a lot of mental energy planning my binges, planning getting to you know the movie theater well in advance to make sure that I was building in the time to stand in line at, for the concessions and making sure I had the money with me so I had money for both the movie and the concessions. Um, I was morbidly obese. Um, someone of my height and frame weighing 254 pounds was morbidly obese. I've checked this out on those medical charts, and I was at morbid obesity range 
And morbid obesity means that I was so overweight that I was at risk of contracting a fatal condition because of my weight. That's how bad it was. I was in my early 30s, and I worried about having a heart attack. I remember sitting at my desk at work, and I was really thirsty one night, and I remember thinking, oh, my God, I wonder if I'm getting diabetes, because I knew that excessive thirst was a symptom of adult-onset diabetes, and I knew that my obesity had put me at risk of adult-onset diabetes. I had been an athlete in high school, and here I was 15 years later having a hard time walking across the flat floor because that put me out of breath. I was so overweight that I had to lean against something or sit wherever I went because standing in and of itself was almost painful because gravity was pulling on me so heavily. The only enjoyment I had during the week was the 20 minutes I had when my entertainment magazine came in the mail. I'd come home, oh, there's my entertainment magazine. I'd get a little flurry in my heart, oh, a little excitement. And I'd spend 20 minutes, you know, reading that. And then after that was over, I went back into this depressed, lethargic state. And that was just the worst of it. My overeating had started when I was a little kid, and it did nothing but get worse. Uh, I remember in grade school, my overeating was during mealtimes. When I entered into junior high, the overeating took this sort of um, sick, twisted turn, and I started doing things like stealing from my babysitting clients in order to get food. And I would have my purse full of change so I could go to the a la carte line after lunch and get the sweet, junky stuff that they had uh, available there. I used to be a figure skater, and I would, you know, go to the vending machine and hide out in the bathroom and eat the junky food that I got in the vending machine. I remember one time stuffing, not one time, this is a few times I would stuff the vending machine goodies into my skating bag and save it for when I got home and then eat, eat it in secret when I got home. When I got into high school, the eating got still worse. I mean, I was starting to plan now, going to the convenience store before school, getting a sugary junky thing, going to school and going into a bathroom stall and eating it before my first class. And that started many years of bathroom stall eating that I did throughout high school and in college. When I was in high school, I started shoplifting food. I shoplifted many, 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 many times at many, many different kinds of stores, convenience stores and gas stations and department stores and grocery stores. There was only one thing that I ever shoplifted, and that was food. I never, I never shoplifted any other like material object, a ring or lipstick or anything like that. It was always food. So I had to have that fix. And if I didn't have money, by God, I was going to get my fix anyway. When I got into college, things really took off because now I didn't have the container of family life to hold my eating in. And I had a lot of um, secret opportunities to eat, which really fed my addiction. So I would raid the vending machine in the basement of my dormitory. I remember one time watching television and going back and forth, back and forth to the vending machine six different times. And this was like in between mealtimes. This was like in addition to all the eating I was doing um, at meals. In college, we had an all-you-can-eat um, food plan. And so, of course, I took full advantage of that and would eat large amounts at uh, meal times, including multiple desserts. And then I would do more eating at convenience stores and grocery stores. There was a 
donut shop in town and they would open their doors like at midnight and they'd sell their goods before they opened up for the day and they would sell them out their back door and those of us in college you know we'd go down there and we'd get you know a dozen or you know however many and and stuff them in and that was like again getting my fix and when I graduated from college, um, the eating got still worse um, because now I had money because I had a job, so I had regular income coming in, and then I had even I had more mobility because I had a car, and then I had lots of lots of secrecy and privacy because the roommate I had at the time would leave for the weekend, and so my my you know I had I started having a planned binge night which was on Saturday, and that was the first time I had done that. Well, as the years went on, you know I went from one binge night to every single night was a binge night. Um, so my eating only ever got worse, and I never had power over it from the, from, I, from the time I was about eight years old. I did not have power over what this was doing to me. I remember in the sixth grade looking at the clock, when is it going to be snack time? When is it going to be lunchtime? Um, just I couldn't concentrate because I had to escape whatever it I was feeling, and I needed the escape through food. And so the really bad you know, bottom that I hit, and it was a really, really awful bottom, was the culmination of many, many, many years of suffering and pain and misery and humiliation and hopelessness. I had tried diets many, many, many times. I was put on my first diet when I was nine. So those first early diets were not my choice. But later, I started choosing to go on diets. And I chose a couple of paid weight loss programs. And I went to an outpatient eating disorders clinic. And I tried many, many, many experiences of containing my food. Okay, I'm going to have three meals a day. I'm not going to have anything in between. I'm not going to eat sugar. I'm not going to eat the junk food. And this is how I'm going to do it. And there were a number of times when I would control my eating for long enough periods where I would lose all my excess weight. I would got, I, and I would get down to a normal weight. And I did this a number of times. And... What happened for me was I thought, you know, I think I can say maybe not thought, but I tricked myself into thinking that my problem had been solved because I had lost all my excess weight, but my problem never was solved because I never really lost the obsession over food. I remember in 1981 after having lost all my excess weight, and I was like, I would just be scheming and wondering, okay, so how can I get a little of that sugar in but not gain my weight back? How can I get a little bit of the floury, salty stuff in you know, for, for getting a little kick but not gain my weight back. And so I would do that, and I would wake up the next day, oh, I didn't, I didn't put all my weight back on. Oh, I can do that again. Oh, I can do that again. I mean, a year later, I was heavier than ever. And every time that I thought my problem was licked, it just never was. I did not lose the obsession for food. I did not lose the obsession over body image. And so I had to go back to medicating. And, of course, at that time, I did not understand the nature of my problem. I thought that my problem was willpower and that all I had to do was gain back my willpower long enough to lose all of my weight, and then my problem would be solved. And, like, hope springs eternal. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, my hope sprang eternal as a compulsive overeater. But my addiction showed me differently. It kept beating me over the head and beating me over the head and beating me over the head. 254 pounds. I mean, that is, I just, I tell you what I weighed so that you know how very much I was eating. Um, I was eating with a sense of desperation and urgency that I had not had before. Because like they say in the big book, you know, over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. So that was really true for me. So that's my qualification. Uh, I definitely am one of you. I'm a very low bottom critical level food addict, and I always will be. 
So what happened? Well, I came to OA. And OA helped me a lot in, in many respects. I lost my shame in OA. I found other people who did what I did. I thought I was the only person who ate on bathroom stalls. Other people talked about that. I thought I was the only person who stole from my babysitting clients. Other people talked about that. I thought I was the only person who avoided going home because I wanted to eat alone in my car. I didn't want the people I was living with seeing me eating. I heard other people talking about that. I started losing my sense of isolation and my sense of shame. And that was just invaluable to me. I started hearing other people give me empathy for the pain that I was in. I remember the person who met with us newcomers at one of my first meetings, and she said, Joe, I can see the pain that you're in over your eating. No one had ever said that to me. People had always shamed me or told me that I should or shouldn't do something around my eating, but no one had ever said, I see the pain that you're in. And that connection was huge for me. And at the same time, during those years in OA, before I was in recovery, I was in OA, but I was not in recovery, something was missing. And what I now know is that I was doing my program. And doing my program meant that I made a decision myself whether or not I was going to have a sponsor. And whatever sponsor I was going to have, well, she didn't necessarily have to be recovered. Maybe she was just a nice person. So I could have her as my sponsor. Um, my program, I'm going to write my own food plan. Um, I'm going to decide um, which meetings I'm going to go to. And I'm going to pretty much faithfully, I'll, go, I'll faithfully go to meetings. I was, I was pretty good at my meeting attendance. And I was very good at checking out more and more meetings. Um, but when they said at the meetings that I went to, they said, take what you like and leave the rest, I took just a little bit because I only liked a little bit and I left the rest. And I left the big book and the steps and especially, oh, this is a big thing that I did to work my program. I rejected the big book. Why did I reject the big book? Because I had read it and I found it uncredible? No. I rejected it because, I don't know, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the tone of the person reading out of the big book the first time that I heard it. Therefore, I rejected the big book. I had no curiosity whatsoever. And then when I found out that the big book had been written by a bunch of drunks, well, that gave me another reason to reject it because, hey, I'm not a drunk. I'm a compulsive overeater. And then when I found out that the book was written by men, hey, hey, that's a great excuse not to read it because I'm a woman and what could they possibly have to say to me? So I had these great reasons for completely rejecting the big book, and I did. And so I was working my program, and my program was very complicated. It was burdensome and it was painful. When my recovery started is when I surrendered, and I surrendered at a depth that I had never surrendered, I don't think, to anything before. When I had experienced the pain of doing it my way enough that I was willing to let go of that and look at someone else who had surrendered and had been transformed because of that, then things really changed for me. When I shut up and I took direction from recovered people, when I saw someone in the front of the room in whom the problem had been solved, I was quieted by that. And when I started following the program of recovery, which is in one place, that's in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where the program is written. When I started doing the program instead of my program, from that point on, I recovered. And the program 
all of a sudden, magically, became very simple. So what is the nature of my problem? My problem is actually very simple. The big book refers to it as the bondage of self, that I suffer from what it calls self-will run riot, that I'm like the actor who wants to run the whole show, that I'm bound by selfishness and self-centeredness. This theme is repeated over and over again in the big book. On page 62, it says, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. Bill W., in his story on page 14, says a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. On page 60, it says the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. The big book is very clear about the nature of the problem, and my experience is that this is the nature of my problem. I am burdened by the bondage of self. Me, 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 I want what I want when I want it. I want you to do what I want you to do. I want you to do it when I want you to do it. I want you to do it in the manner in which I want you to do it. I want this particular phone call at this particular time to go this way. I want my boss to say this to me at this moment. I want my department meeting to go this way. I want the leader of my organization to do things this way. I want my animals to do things this way. I want my landlord to do things this way. I want my family to do things this way. I want to be the center of the universe. I want to be the center of your universe. I want to be the center of everything that's ever existed. Me, 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 myself, and I. That was my experience, and the big book confirms and reflects that back to me. So that's the nature of my problem. And so I really only have that one, I mean, really, that's my one problem. It's the bondage of self. So my problem is simple. It can be encapsulated in that one term, the bondage of self. So what is the solution? Well, the solution is also simple. The solution is that I must have an experience of God because it is only the experience of God that will free me of the bondage of self. And how am I going to experience this God? By working through the 12 steps as written in the big book. Those actions will produce an experience that the big book calls a spiritual awakening, which it also refers to as a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. I heard a recovery speaker say one time, I don't have faith in God, I experience God. And that's what I need. I need an experience because I experienced the addiction, the merciless, ruthless tyrant called food addiction. I sure experienced that every day. In order for recovery to mean anything to me, I have to experience it. It's not enough to read about it. It's not enough to see somebody else have it, although those things are important and they're necessary and they're helpful. I have to experience it. I, Joe have to experience something different in order for recovery to mean anything to me. So what do these steps, these 12 steps, what do they call on me to do? I've heard them condensed down into three parts. Trust God, clean house, and help others. Trust God, steps one, two, and three. I'm going to give myself over to a new kind of thinking, and I'm going to take a leap of faith that something better is possible, and I'm going to make a decision to use that better process, and I don't know what's going to happen next in steps one, two, and three. I don't know. I can't be sure of anything. It took a lot of courage for me to take steps one, two, and three, precisely because I did not know what was going to happen next. I just grabbed onto a little bit of faith that something better than what I had had to be available to me. Clean house, 
steps four through nine. I'm going to unload on paper all the anger and fear that's inside of me. Whether that anger is five minutes old or 40 years old, I'm going to get it down on paper in a structured way, according to the big book. And then I'm going to read it all to somebody else. And then I'm going to go clean up the wreckage I caused by living out of all that anger and fear. Help others. 10, 11, and 12, I'm going to use this newfound power that's been released in me through cleaning house, trusting God in cleaning house, to carry the message to other sufferers and to touch the lives of others in a positive way. Um, so the steps are very simple. I mean, the, all of the writing in the big book, in my experience, there's a lot of volume to it because they're repeating, in a lot of ways, repeating themselves over and over and over again because they're repeating a theme. And so some of the pages in the big book, and they're beautifully and wonderfully written in how they repeat the theme. So the fact that the steps are described in, in pages 30 to 103, that's a, non, that's a lot of pages, but the number of pages do not reflect the complexity of the steps. The steps are simple. That's my experience of them. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the simple role of abstinence in all of this. Working, this te- working the 12 steps requires that I be abstinent. My admission of powerlessness in step one is going to motivate me and did motivate me to seek a recovered sponsor who will help teach me and guide me how to create and maintain an abstinent plan of eating. If I have really admitted my powerlessness, and I did, I'm going to follow that plan of eating, and I have, no matter what, because I have admitted that I can no longer eat according to my own specifications, because doing that is the bondage of self. I surrendered. You know, I've given up the notion that diets, controlled eating, and game playing around food don't work for me. In other words, I've given up self-will, run riot, as it pertains to my food. And how complicated was it when I was trying to write my own food plan by myself in the secrecy of my own isolated mind? How did that work for me? Well, it didn't work that well for me because I remember that night after a number of months of new abstinence uh, in late spring, standing there in the grocery store, white-knuckling it beyond anything I could hardly stand so that I wouldn't go back into the sugar. If my way worked so well, why was I in such pain? If my complicated, self-made food plan worked so well, why was I white-knuckling it? It's because my complicated, self-made food plan was not working for me. I don't keep my food a secret. I give away my food every day to my sponsor, which is a very simple act, because I've admitted to myself that keeping secrets about my food is extremely disturbing to me, and I have no control over the effect that food secrets have on me. And I've realized that because I took step one. All the food behaviors, all the thinking around food came to light as completely, you know, completely failed because I took step one. And if I'm going to take step one all the way, really to the full depth that it can be taken, that's going to include the food. That's not just going to include my thinking in my life. That includes my powerlessness over the food itself. So once I admitted my powerlessness, once I surrendered, abstinence naturally followed as a required action on my part, which included getting the help of recovered sponsors. Now, when I use the word simple, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to have feelings about it because I very well could have feelings about it and I have. 
I have felt disappointed. I have felt angry. I have felt frustrated. I have felt inconvenienced. I have felt perturbed at taking the simple actions. I have felt humbled. But that doesn't mean the action itself wasn't simple. The action was simple. You know, I mean, do you think it was comfortable for me to seek out that babysitting, the babysitting client 25 years later, calling them on the phone and saying, I stole from you when I babysat from you. I'm sorry that I did that. I wanted to tell you about it. I wanted to apologize to you for that. Do you think that that was an easy thing? Was that comfortable for me? Was it comfortable for me to say, I want to write you a check to pay you back for that food? That was not comfortable, but it was simple. It wasn't comfortable for me to call my dad and say, Dad, there's something I want to apologize to you for, and I want to invite you over because I'd like to do it in person. And my dad came over. We were sitting on the couch. I said, Dad, I want to apologize to you for ignoring your retirement all those years ago when you retired. You told me you were going to retire, and I ignored that, and I'm sorry I did that. Was that comfortable? No. But was it simple? Yes. I weigh my food every day. I have certain particular foods that I eat that are abstinent. From, I actually have quite a good variety of abstinent food. I weigh all my food, and I commit it every day to a sponsor, and sometimes I'll want to try a new food. This happened just recently. I went to the store. I saw a type of uh, salad dressing. I looked at the ingredients. The, ingre- the ingredients looked just fine, but I thought, you know, I'm going to run this by my sponsor before I put it on my food plan. And I ran it by my sponsor. She, she said, Joe... That has ground-up vegetable in it. She said, this is supposed to be a fat serving for you, and you really, really shouldn't be combining your fats and your vegetables. So I don't really think that's a good idea for you to have that. I said, okay. Was that comfortable for me to say okay? No, it was not. I was irritated by that. I didn't like that answer. I wanted her to green light the salad dressing. So it was not comfortable, but was it simple? Yes, it was. I gave that salad dressing to my neighbor. So just because I have feelings about it, doesn't mean that it isn't simple. I have to tell you that satisfying my ego in the old way that I was doing things and trying to avoid those feelings, trying to avoid the irritation and the anger and the frustration and the humility, thinking that it was a better way actually was a worse way. It was complicating because now I have to decide. Now I'm the one who has to decide whether or not I can eat a particular food. And then I would go ahead and give myself permission to eat it, and then I wouldn't feel good. Is that simple? That was complicated. It was complicated, burdensome, and painful. So giving myself over, surrendering, and living the simple program, this program, I have to tell you, the more I'm exposed to it and the more I practice it, the more simple I realize it is, the more simple I experience it. The big book on page 25 says, When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. The simple kit of spiritual tools is the steps. There, they've said it. They've said it themselves. They've used the word simple. But what had to come first for me? I had to get to the place where there was nothing left for me but to pick up this simple kit of spiritual tools. I had to be at the place where there was nowhere else to go but up. I had to be in that desperate, painful, horrible, awful place where I said, God, help me. Oh, my God, somebody, for the love of God, please help me. 
I'm crying inside. I can't stand the way I feel. I can't stand this anymore. To grab onto the hand of a recovered sponsor to show me the way out and to be willing to take the simple actions required of me so that I could come out of the hell that I was living in and come into a better life. So long as I was doing things my way, so long as I was writing my own version of the program, the program was complicated. And when that pain got bad enough, when I had had enough of my own self-will run riot, I surrendered. And I've been brought into this wonderfully beautiful, glorious, simple program that's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My life today, I live a simple life today, but what a beautiful life I get to live. I have physical recovery today. I'm maintaining a 120-pound weight loss. I'm at a normal, healthy weight. I can run when I'm in a hurry. I can get in and out of bed easily. I can, I can get in and out of my car easily. I can go up and down steps. I live on the third floor of my apartment building, which is the top floor. I go up and down 40 steps every single day to, to come and go, to check my mail, to do my laundry, to let my cats outside. I mean, I get to do that because of this program. I want to live on the top floor because I don't, I'm not comfortable with people living above me and hearing the, the sounds of steps on the floor, etc. So I get to do that. I have a nice view out these third floor windows of mine. And I don't worry about my health anymore. I don't worry about having a heart attack or adult onset diabetes. I don't worry about getting cancer, or bone bone problems. You know, I get to walk around the lake if I feel like it. I take the bus every day. I walk five blocks to, to catch my bus, walk up and down the steps of the bus. Um, you know, and I choose to take the bus because I work downtown and I don't want to pay for parking. So I get to exercise the choice of taking the bus because of my physical recovery. I have a job today. That is so super fantastic, I can't even believe it, and the job has been given to me by the program of recovery. And the only reason I have the job is because of the program of recovery written in the big book. That's why I have the job. It's a job that's in a new career, and I have this new career because of the program of recovery. Um, I have relationships, I have interactions with people that are nothing like what I would have been able to have before because of the program of recovery, the simple program laid out in the big book. Um, you know, I, I have a, a an adult, respectful, uh, courteous, and positive relationship with my dad and his wife. And we're getting together this weekend. You know, it's his birthday, and we're getting together this weekend. We're going to meet at a coffee shop, and I'm going to bring gifts, and, you know, it's going to be pleasant because it always is. And I get to have that, and I get to tell my dad that I'm grateful that he's in the world and that we get to be in the world together. I've told him that. I've written him that. I've written little pieces of writing, and I've shared that with him. Um, That's the program of recovery as written in the big book. Um, I'm a more generous gift giver today uh, because of the program of recovery as written in the big book, the simple program. 2012, um, that was a banner year for me because of this program. I went to a reunion in the, the city where I used to live, and I saw the people I used to work with 25 years ago and how wonderful that was and how easy the interactions were because of the program. Um, I had a major milestone birthday this summer. I threw a big party. 48 people came. Um, 48 people came because of the program of recovery. I was able to research and give a presentation on a topic that I'm very interested in. It's an intellectual topic I'm very interested in. And I gave it to this intellectual group that I belong to. We meet once a month. And, wow, I got to do that because of the program of recovery. It's written in the big book, the simple program. So in closing, I just want to 
share a quote from the big book on on page uh, 25. It tells us what's going to happen after we pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools. It says, we have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. This has happened for me, and it can happen for you too. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for your powerful, clear, and simple message of transformation this morning on A Vision for You. We now open the floor for any questions you might have for Joe. You can pose your question by pressing star 1 to unmute if you'd like. Hi, this is Marion from Florida. Yes, Marion. Yeah, hi. Uh, Joe, thank you so very much for your uh, stunning... uh, I related so much to you. Um, Would you be willing to give your phone number out? Sure. Uh, My phone number is 612... Yes. 377... 377-4502. Two. Okay. Thank you so much. Welcome. God bless. Any other questions for Joe this morning? Um, hi, this is Joan calling. I have a question for Joe. Go ahead, Joan. Um, You know, I'm a little bit confused. I know that um, A Vision for You is aligned with OA, Overeaters Anonymous. Anonymous. Is it also aligned with OA 90 Day, which follows a certain food plan, or you follow a food plan from your sponsor or your nutritionist? Thank you. Sure, Joan. Well, I think the question about the alignment of a vision for you, that's a question that um, I think Leah can answer. Leah, do you want to go ahead and answer that? Sure. Sure, Joan. Uh, Great question, and I will direct you towards page 17 in your big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. So to answer your question, those of us that are gathered and carry the message of recovery on a vision for you stand in harmony on a common solution, and that solution is found in the first 164 pages of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Any other questions for Joe this morning? morning, I I wanted to address, Joan had a question about my food plan, so I did want to address that, and I, um, what I will say, Joan, is that I um, got help in constructing an abstinent plan of eating from a nutritionist and from my sponsor. So I did take advantage of a healthcare professional um, so that she could take into account my history and my particular needs. And then I worked it out with my sponsor to make sure that there was no compulsivity in that food plan. 
And so that's how I, that's how I, and the, the, the sponsor that I, that I work with is a recovered sponsor. Okay, great. Thank you. It was a wonderful lead. Okay, Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Joan and, and Joe, for that response. Other questions? Good morning. This is Stu. Um, yes, Stu, go ahead. Good morning, uh, Joe. Thank you so much. I, I related to a lot of things that you said, and, um, you know, I love I love that thing that you said about not keeping secrets with your food, um, you know. And I, I have my my question is, at, I understand that you're a recovered a recovered person, um, and so are you still um, turning your food over to your sponsor every day? Oh is yes, is that what I understood? Oh yes, oh, okay. absolutely. Yes, because being recovered means that I have completely accepted my, I mean, part of the requirement for me to have to experience being recovered is that I fully accept my condition. And I have a daily condition that it's never going to be cured. I'm recovered but not cured. So when I wake up in the morning, I am just as much of an addict, if not more so, than the day before. And I've heard said, I heard somebody say this one time and never forgotten it. She said, we can build up a force field against the addiction every day, but when we wake up in the morning, the force field is at zero, and we have to build it up all over again. So, <clears throat> yeah, I give my food away every single day. I, there is no such thing as resting on my laurels. I, I have, you know, left my own devices. I'm very secretive and manipulative, and that has to be interrupted every single solitary day. And one of the ways that's interrupted is by me giving away my food. Um, like I said, keeping secrets about my food that absolutely does not work for me. And so I have no illusions that, that, that it ever will work for me ever again. And so I am fully disclose everything that I put in my mouth every day. Thank you. But, okay. Go ahead, Sue, if you have further I, questions. I just, yeah, I just wanted to follow up with that. But does that... Um, does that apply to everyone, or is it like as per the sponsor? Because I know with, with my sponsor, uh, in the beginning I was turning my food over to her, but eventually I don't have to um, turn it over um, because I basically eat the same thing almost every day, um, you know, except with the exceptions where she'll check in with me every so often to make sure that I have variety in my food plan so that I won't get bored and, you know, God forbid, you know, go and pick up again or whatever. But um, that's kind of like how she does it with me. And I, I was wondering if that was a rule for everyone or is that per sponsorship or, you know, is that something that you work out with your sponsor as far as how to do that? I think every, every single person in this program uh, understands whether or not they're free or not. You have to know whether or not you are free by what you're doing. The program is not about following rules. It's about doing what works. It's about doing what's effective. And you need to ask yourself the question, if what you're doing is working for you, is it freeing you from the bondage of self? So that's my answer to that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next question. Anything regarding the program of recovery? Hi, Maria. Free again? I'm sorry. I I can't. Go ahead. I can't grab a name. Go ahead. 
It's Rita again. I'm sorry, Leah. Yes, Rita, uh, I go ahead. To ask Joe, uh, thank you so much for your service. Your phone number, uh, is that Eastern time, and what is a good time to reach you or not a good time? Please. That is Central Time, United States Central Time. And the best time to reach me is in the evening, uh, week, weeknight evenings and on the weekends. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you, Leah. Sure thing. Anyone else? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Central Time is, is uh, what compared to Eastern uh, Standard Time? Central, Central Time, time is one is hour. One hour behind Eastern Time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Could you repeat the phone number? I'm sorry I missed it. Sure. It's 612-377-4502. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, Joe. This is Hoodie. Good morning, Hoodie. Hi, how are you? Um, it's, it's such a pleasure to hear you on the line now that um, I already had a privilege of meeting you in person and seeing that transformation um, face-to-face. Um, so I just wanted to thank you so much for your share. And I just, like, there was, like, one thing that, you know, I, um, you know, I've been having um, with the my wording, I've been working on, you know, saying I have to and I need to in order to recover. Um, I have to do this, and I have to, and I need to do that. And I just heard so many times in your qualification how you say you, you get to, and you have the privilege of of doing it and receiving it. And so I just wanted to, um, you know, um, and just hope one day that I'm, I, I too will just come naturally. I get to, and I, I could just enjoy living life um, on life's terms. I want that. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome, Hoodie. This is Kim. Can you hear me? Yes, Kim, go ahead. Okay. Joe, thank you so much. I, I love the simplicity that you did. You know, that it is us that complicate the program, not the program that's complicated. And uh, I think one of the misconceptions we have is that we think that the steps are going to take 14 years to get through. So I don't know if, if, if you could kind of talk about, you know, how long this process took for you and when you're leading people through the steps, um, specifically the fourth step, I think people stay in it too long. Is there a certain time period that you encourage people so they can get through the steps before the compulsion brings them back to the food? Yes, and thank you, Kim. What a great question. Um, I did my fourth step in two weeks, and I had 30-some years of stuff. And I was working full-time, and I was dating somebody, and I had a sick cat, and I did it in two weeks. So when I'm working with a sponsee, usually um, we'll set a deadline of between two and three weeks for them to get it done, and I really am a stickler about that. Um, and the way that we enforce the deadline is say, we're going um, to set a date for you to do your fifth step, and that puts a boundary around it. <clears throat> that is one of the greatest misconceptions of this program, I think, in OA, is that the fourth step is, is complicated, and it takes months and months and months um, to do it. No, it doesn't. Um, it, it only takes a couple of weeks because all you're doing is writing. You take the forms, you know, you take those very structured forms and you fill them out. That's it. Um, and then you give away that the fifth step can be done in a couple of hours. So that would be my answer to that. Thank you for your question. Amen, sister. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Kim. 
for the question. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Hi, this is Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Um, I was wondering, Joe, how long uh, before when you started at OA, how long it was before you um, decided to surrender and started to recover? I was in OA for four years before I really was presented with well, I take that back. I, I may have been presented with the solution before, but I completely rejected it. Um, but I was in a way for four years before I, um, before, I, before I began recovery, is what I would say. Yeah. I saw someone in whom the problem had been solved, and she carried the message with, with a force that I couldn't ignore. And I was Thank pulled you. in. I like to say kind of the program took me. I, it didn't. It almost didn't feel like my decision. It felt like I was pulled in, like some force beyond me was um, pulling me in like a magnet. And I just, I couldn't ignore it. And I wanted what she had. And Thank that's you. when my recovery began. Thank you. This is Lee. May I ask a question? Of course. Go ahead, Lee. Hi, this is Lee, compulsive overeater. Uh, Joe, I wanted to thank you. You, you really, when you said I have one problem, that really grabbed my attention. And when you said the bondage of self, that my problem is simple, that just really was very impactful. Because uh, to the newcomer, you know, the program can be confusing, and it can be like, I don't know, it's just, it, but it isn't. And you did a nice job of breaking it down that it is simple. And I love that sentence you closed with the page 25 that we found much of heaven and have been rocketed into the fourth dimension. I've always been a little confused about what that fourth dimension is. Would, would you please, you know, maybe describe that a little bit? Well, it's an experience, Lee. So you have to experience it to know what it is. Um, the specific examples I gave about how my life is today, that's the fourth dimension, I mean, being able to communicate much more effectively with a supervisor, for example, being much more collegial with my coworkers, that's the fourth dimension of existence. Um, It's going to uh, the doctor, this is a couple of years ago, and they ran a panel, they ran a blood panel and they did all this checking with you know, blood levels and kidney and uh, mass moving, do you smoke and do you drink, blah, 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 and they do this, this whole panel of characteristics and it came out ideal and they were stunned and they said, we only have a, two or three people every in a year who ever come out ideal. And I said to the person, I said, well, that's the program of recovery that I'm in. That's why it came out ideal. I had the opportunity to tell her about Overeaters Anonymous, so hopefully she can pass it on to her other patients. My physical condition is ideal because of the program. That's the fourth dimension of existence. Um, You know, wanting to be of service. Uh, I do dog walking on Sunday mornings. It's volunteer. I really enjoy it. I love being with animals. I get to be with dogs. And I do it every Sunday. I've been doing it every Sunday for five years because I have a service ethic now. I feel a responsibility to those dogs. They love going on the walk with me. When they see me coming down the hallway, they get so excited because they know that it's their fun walk. Like, I take them on a 20-minute walk, and we run, and, we, you know, they set the pace. I give them a nice, long leash, and they know it. When they see me, it's their fun walk. I have a service ethic, and I feel that 
toward those animals. That's a fourth dimension, you know, and showing up every week for five years happily. I mean, that's a fourth dimension of existence. There's no way I'd be doing that if I were, you know, still in the addiction. I would not, I didn't have a service ethic, or when I did, it was temporary, and it was full of, um, there were strings attached. And now I get to be of service with no strings attached. I, I give because I want to give. And it, it feels good. And I was thinking of this the other day. I like opening the doors for people. If I have the opportunity to open the door for somebody and they can go ahead of me, like, I do that. I do that a lot. I take the bus. Um, I say hi to the bus driver every time I get on, and I say thank you to the bus driver every time I get off. Without exception, I want to do that. It feels good to do that. That's the fourth dimension of it. I'm not forcing myself. I want to do it. So those kinds of things, for me, Lee, are the fourth dimension of existence. And, you know, if you get into recovery, you'll have those kinds of experiences yourself. Okay. Thank you very much. You have a a nice style of of putting things in a simple way that can be understood. Uh, Thank you for your your service today. You're very welcome. Thank you, Lee. Anyone else? This is Susan. Susan, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. Thanks so much, Leah, and thanks so much, Joe. Oh, my goodness, you so hit the spot this morning. Um, I find myself at a new layer of, of, of work that needs to be done, and I feel like you indirectly addressed it, and I wanted to ask you more about it. So I've uh, let go of my binge foods little by slowly, but I've now let what I believe to be all of them go. And I find myself still consumed by the need, not just desire, but need to control. And while I'm at step one, I went back to start at step one since I've recently let go of my binge foods. I, you know, I, I still want to control by using the scale, by, you know, doing it my way. Although my food plan has been approved by a nutritionist, I selected it. I, 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 as you were speaking of. Can you speak of how you were able to surrender on all levels, not just binge foods, but just surrender, period? Um, if you could speak to that, I'd appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, I was lucky enough to be presented with a powerful message of recovery that included a particular model for how to work the program. Um, And the model is very structured. And I need that. Now, not necessarily everybody doesn't necessarily need that level of structure, but I do. So I consider myself very lucky. And the structure included particular... Uh, detailed ways of getting help with my abstinence. You know, it included things like, you know, the food plan must be weighed and measured in this particular structured model. Um, The particular food plan has to be worked out by a nutritionist and a sponsor. Um, The model included daily um, discussion with a sponsor about my food and about, you know, know, step work and reading and writing, that kind of thing. the model included calling in food changes. You know, if I make a food change today, other than if I make a change in what I committed in the morning to my sponsor, I have to call her, you know, and I have to call, if she's not available, I have to call somebody else because I can't handle, I'm such a food addict, I cannot handle even making a food change from an apple to an orange. My food addiction is that severe. And so when I was presented with this model, this structured model, it was very attractive to me. There was something in me that knew that I needed that. Um, 
So if what you're doing, Susan, isn't working for you, find someone in whom the problem has been solved and ask them to lead you and direct you and guide you and be willing to take direction. I think we struggle sometimes in OA, and I knew I know I struggled because I saw myself as an adult. Well, I'm an adult. I shouldn't have to have somebody else tell me what to eat. But what I got to was, well, if that's working for me so well, how come it's not working for me? This is not about uh, being a child. Like when I was working with my, you know, with my sponsor, and I was getting into this new, um, this new structured model. Um, I had to allow her to teach me and show me what to do because I didn't know. And that was not about being a child. That was about being an addict who needed the help of someone in whom the problem had been solved. So I think it's important to clarify those things. This is, it's not about being humiliated. It's not about being patronized or talked down to. It's like I'm drowning. Um, you're riding by in a boat. And you have a life raft. Uh, you, know, you have a, a lifesaver. You're going to throw it to me. I'm going to grab onto it. Thank you very much for your lifesaver. So that would be my answer to that. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Star one to unmute if you have a question regarding the program of recovery. Going once, twice, and three times. I will take that as a no. Again, thank you, Joe, for your time and your energy as you carried the message of recovery to a vision for you this morning, sharing about your spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. I will now close a vision for you with the reading from page 164, from the chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.